Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Perfect. How are you? I'm great. But it's a little weird day, you know, this week. What's weird? Lots happening. Oh, yeah. A lot has happened. Sure. It is the night before your birth. (laughs) True. The day we're recording, at least. That's true. You're already 25 when this comes out. Yeah. Amazing. A whole, like, three or four days after I turned 25. I know. Imagine that. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. I'm stoked to be a a whole year older. Well, you know, <laughs> get a day to celebrate you. Yeah, yeah, I like that. You are older, That's but it. you do get to be celebrated. So true, and I know. get my freebies. I'll go to Starbies. Oh, yes. <laughs> Stop with the Starbies. I never call it Starbies for the record, but I just, it felt, it felt right. As like, a, as like a birthday celebration, calling it Starbies. That's kind of funny. Anyway, why don't we talk about the bonus episode number eight poll, because what? that's up, and that's going to come out next week the bonus episode so our options for this bonus episode is shark attack okay it says let's talk about the harrowing tale of cj wickersham who fought to survive a shark attack while spear fishing that's one number two is the big dipper roller coaster disaster which is when the big dipper coaster crashed in the battersea park southwest london it became one of the biggest roller coaster disasters in theme park history and they, like, flew off into the parking lot? Well, you're going to have to become a patron to find out, aren't oh, you? Oh, really? I have to become a patron? <laughs> yes. Thank you. And then number three is the survival of Karen Widows. Karen was brutally attacked and then left to die by an abusive and possessive ex-boyfriend at the age of 16, which is oh, what horrifying. Um, right now, as of this moment, the Big Dipper roller coaster disaster is winning. So if you're interested... Pop on over to Patreon. It's coming out next week. Yeah, I was going to say that was going to be my vote. I yeah. don't think we've done anything like that. Before. No. Yeah, I think that's kind of why we're branching out a little bit. Oh, it's yeah, going to be interesting. Anyways, why don't we talk about the story this week? Because Just jump in. it is a bit of an epic tale. I, I feel like we're going to run out of adjectives. Epic tale is new. Is it? Well, new-ish. new-ish. It's, I'm not like I'm saying it's incredible. It's amazing it's insane it's crazy crazy it's an epic tale if you will is that cool i will all right good so we're going to be talking about the silverwood family from san diego california and how they were on an around the world sailing trip okay okay so this voyage had been a lifelong dream of john silverwood who is the father of this family and he had talked to his wife, Jean Silverwood, about doing something like this forever. From the time they had met to when they had kids, John would joke about doing something like this, how they would just throw the whole family on a boat and sail the world. Jean never actually thought that that would actually happen. But as time went by, she realized she wasn't spending any time with her kids or with the family. There were a lot of distractions of modern day life, you know, like video games, school, sports, friends, and she started to feel like maybe doing something like that wouldn't be too bad. Maybe it'd be really fun. And that's when it went from being a fantasy to a goal. So she was like, maybe we could have fun. Literally. I don't know that I would necessarily say maybe we could have fun going on an around the world sailing trip, but Gene Silverwood said maybe we could have fun. No, this very much gives not you vibes. Yeah, no, this is like so not me, but I love it for them. The ocean, the not connected to civilization, not the move for you. No. I Or me. Yeah, it simply could not be me, but I love it for them. So it was 2003. Ben, their oldest son, had just turned 14. He was a surfer. He liked the ocean. He was a great swimmer, although he was planning to go to high school in San Diego, California. So he wasn't super stoked about the idea of of sailing around the world for years, but also he's still 14, so he didn't have much say in the matter. Yeah, I was like, also imagine being like eight and your parents are like, hey, we're going to go sailing for two years. You're like, 
I can't even conceptualize how long that is. I've only been alive for six. This is <laughs> so, going to be about twenty percent of my life. Literally, insane. Uh, younger sister Amelia was twelve at the time, and then third sibling Jack was nine, and then Camille was their youngest, and she was five. So we got five four years kids. Old. Yes, bring a five-year-old sailing across the world for years, please. Chaka bra. What? I'm sorry. What did you just say? Have you ever heard that? Shaka bra, shaka bra. <laughs> did I say it wrong? Um, I don't know, but I think it's funnier to hear you flounder after you, you, you said something Dude, that you've that never said. With somebody, I'm sure it just wasn't you. Yeah, you got the little. <laughs> I don't know. Five. I'm. I'm still. You're gonna bring essentially a toddler on a sailboat. sailing around the road on the the road the world the world i'm so flabbergasted i can't speak yeah what about doctors what about food well they're stopping what about water it's not like they're they're continuously in the middle of the ocean for two years they're like going to places but where the whole world what the you... entire world <laughs> but where, but where? Uh, they're sailing like, the world really gonna... i imagine they're stopping at many countries and places and seeing the world but where? I mean, enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. John and Jean were in real estate and had hit a very good housing market. So finally, they decided that it was time to make this dream a reality. John's birthday was coming up, so Jean decided to surprise him with tickets to the Miami Boat Show, which is where they found the sailboat they could call home and use to bring their kids around the world. There were a lot of different reasons why John wanted to go on this voyage, but one of the most important to him was that his children got to experience the absolute freedom of being out on the open ocean while they were still at a young and impressionable age. I mean, I get that to an extent. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it does become more and more appealing if they're kind of like hopping from city to city where there are still services and civilization. Yeah. They're so I not... can still go get a nice dinner. You definitely you could. Know, I'm sure doctor. you could get some really, you know? really good dinners. Yeah. Around the world, experience the actual cultures. Yeah. That's pretty sick. And if I wasn't terrified of the ocean and didn't and did enjoy being on boats like that, then that sounds great. But it, that's that's simply not my life. So, what if you're? Are you, aren't they like sailing on the coast most of the time, though? Or are they no. like literally going across the Atlantic Ocean? Well, in where we're we're going to talk about it, but where they're going now, they're literally sailing to Australia. So they're going like, damn, across the ocean. Yeah, no, that's not me. That's a, <laughs> bro. That's a long trip. If they're you so get stuck in a storm, <laughs> you are fucked. Right? That's a really good. Oh no! Oh segue. God. Shall we no, talk no, about no, wait, wait. the survival aspect of this story, or do you want to keep talking Can... about the logistics of sailing the world? <laughs> <laughs> do, you want... <laughs> do you want to talk Can't about? Can't you let me for a moment get stuck in the details? You're being a troll. You know I'm it. I'm not trying to be a troll. <laughs> These are my genuine thoughts. Okay. And you're like, enough. Which is fair. Yeah, it's valid. But also, I don't know. I was coming around to the idea, you know? You're coming. In just two or three minutes, I changed my mind. <laughs> in a matter of two or three minutes, you too can come around to the idea of sailing the world. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the kids were a little worried about leaving their lives and their friends behind, but they were ultimately excited, but not Ben. Ben was not excited. But their two-year journey started at Long Island Sound. Hey, chuck up a deuce, Long Island. Chuck up a deuce. That's a poop. Oh, no. <laughs> we have to cut that out. No. <laughs> no. no, I'm leaving that You in. can't leave I'm poop. Leaving. Chuck a deuce. That's a poop. Are you dead? <laughs> we haven't gotten into any anyone dying yet. Almost You're right. dying. Right? You're right. That's funny. Uh, you know what I mean, though. Peace sign, I'm from Long Island. Anyway, it started at the Long Island Sound in August of 2003. The trip ended abruptly on June 25th, 2005. So where this story begins, the family had already sailed 20,000 miles and were on the last leg of their journey. They had spent the last 21 months on their 80-foot catamaran, which they named the Emerald Jane. 
For John and Jean's youngest three, Camille, Amelia, and Jack, this trip had been an unforgettable experience. The Emerald Jane had become their family home as well as their school at sea. They had everything they needed, including somewhere around 300 pounds of school books. Damn. They made the boat into their home. Jean said, We changed the cabins around so that each child had their own cabin, and we put school desks in there for the two older ones, and we put some of the modern conveniences in the boat, like a microwave, washer and dryer, Xbox, all the things to make the kids happy and make the trip as pleasant as possible. So this boat was pretty tricked out. Yeah, it's stocked up. However, their teenage son, Ben, was not having as much fun. He missed his friends and wanted to go home really badly. He had been able to keep in contact with them through email, but he had had enough of this trip. He's like, all right, email, it's enough. Yo, they're emailing? Yeah, it's 2003 or 2005. Or are they using AOL? Well, he's on a a sailboat in the middle of the ocean, so he's probably just sending an email when he goes to city to city. There's no instant messenger in the middle of the ocean, you know what I I mean? I know, right? That's just crazy. I know kids used to email yeah shit's wild six months prior ben had learned that his father had extended the trip which led to a pretty big explosion from ben he kicked down the door punched a hole in the wall they fought constantly like he was just not he was he was on this boat kicking and screaming literally you know damn but at that point they were in the middle of the ocean and there wasn't much a teenager could do about it what what are you laughing at? That's just so funny to me that he's throwing such a fit and you're like, there's nothing he could do about he's it. He's in the middle he's of the ocean. He's in the middle of the ocean. He is. He literally can't do anything. He can't even get away from his family. He has to just like slam the door on his like little boat and then hear them chattering in the in the cabin. Oh my like, God. That is a bit of a horror. You can't even go be free. No. You know? I mean, you can walk away from them when you're in the port but not when you're in the middle of the ocean. You're not actually ever away from them or with any other people. No, yeah. For a whole year. Yeah, that's... Two years. Two years? Yeah. I thought you said they were stopping places. Well, yeah, but they are they only know each other. I know. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it again, my mind has changed. It's like a two-year vacation. Family. I love my family. Uh-huh. And they listen avidly. Yes. Hi. And I love you. <laughs> mwah. Yeah, mwah. Kisses. Two years of only them? Mm-hmm. I think they would also agree it's a, it, bit, it's a bit much. It'd be tough. I mean, it'd be tough for any family. And yeah. th- and they were having a hard time. Like, yeah. although they were having, like, r- a really amazing time traveling the world, seeing the cities, like, or countries, rather, they were also fighting. Like, they're still a family, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, but if you're with any group of people, only them, mm-hmm. for two years, you're going to have a disagreement. Oh, definitely. At some point. Especially with a teenager yeah yikes the horror you know actually this is a fucking insane idea the more you think about it yeah is it not (laughs) it is i'm glad you've come around to where i'm at but (laughs) you've come back around you you, back home you started where i was you took a 180 and now you're back 360 i've gone walkabout yeah you've gone to walkabout that's good The family had officially reached their last leg of the trip as they sailed somewhere around French Polynesia and were headed toward Australia. Their plan was to sell the boat once they made it to Australia and then head home so the kids could go back to school and John and Jean could get back to work. That day started like any other. They were in the middle of the ocean, somewhere around 3,500 miles away from Australia. It was around midday, the kids were playing games, Jean was preparing lunch, and John was steering the boat when they heard a loud clanking noise coming from the top of the mast. They had never heard any kind of sound like that, so John immediately left the wheel to try and check it out. And for those of you who know anything about sailboats, the boom, which is connected to the mast, was no longer connected and was hitting into the sail repeatedly. So basically, like, ropes and things were hitting into the mast like it wasn't connected anymore and it was supposed to be connected okay i have a couple questions the mast is the pole yes it's like a big sailboat the boom is the rope i guess that's it's from my understanding a fantastic name for a boat part let me just (laughs) the boom the boom amazing yeah John and Ben started trying to fix this issue, but they wrestled with it for over two hours before the sun started to go down, and they came to the conclusion that they could just fix it the next morning when it became light again. 
So for the time being, he dropped the mainsail down and continued on like that. As dusk fell, John set the boat's navigation system to avoid one of the many tiny islands that are scattered around the Pacific Ocean. By 7 p.m., it was very, very dark, and the moon hadn't come out. The family was below deck while Ben kept watch in the cockpit. Jean was preparing dinner for the three little ones, and John was resting. It was another night at sea, not unlike the hundreds they had already spent out there on their voyage. But all of a sudden, Jean starts to hear this scraping sound as they were supposed to be sailing out on the open ocean. It was very light and kind of faint at first, so she thought maybe they were sailing over a floating coconut palm or something they had, like, hit into, but that light scraping sound turned into a sharp bang, followed by a very loud scraping sound that shook the whole boat. John described it as nails on a chalkboard on steroids, and Jean described it like a microphone feedback in an auditorium where you have to cover your ears. So they're not supposed to be sailing on anything that can like scrape the bottom of their sailboat, but they're like actively hitting something. That is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So John at that point was very much awake and had to run into the living area with the kids as they tried to figure out what was going on. All the while, they heard Ben screaming from the cockpit one word over and over, and that was reef. The only thing John and Jean could really do in that moment was look at each other as they processed what was going on and what they needed to do, but in the same second, they heard this huge boom, and Ben had been thrown five to ten feet from the wheel. So they crashed in the middle of the ocean on something they couldn't see. Into a reef. Yes. The boat had smashed into a submerged coral reef in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. John immediately slammed the boat's engine into reverse, which started back up this grinding sound until the boat came to a complete halt. So it was not moving anywhere. But that was just the beginning of their problems. Just then, a giant wave hit into the side of the boat, which made a hole in the side of the boat, and water started shooting into the living area below deck. Jean said as water exploded inside, there were plates, sneakers, and toys floating around in the galley, and she stood there and felt like she was in a scene from the Titanic. Oh, yeah. And you have a six-year-old or seven-year-old to think of. Yeah. I mean, four kids. Four children. Yeah, four young children. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they're stuck on a reef, and now the waves are so powerful that they literally punch a hole in the boat. Yeah, you're going down. Yeah. John ran back below, and Jean said she could see the fear in his eyes. She knew he was extremely scared and didn't know what to do, and she felt the same, which I feel like is something I can kind of relate to, because when you see your dad scared, that's the scariest thing ever. Yeah, that's on a plane, the flight attendant is freaking out. Yeah, like when when the person who's supposed to be, like, in charge or, like, not scared or whatever or brave in your eyes they're scared that's a problem Mm -hmm. that's a real big problem so both john and jean were actively terrified and rightfully so jean had no idea what to do and that's when it really hit her that they were in a situation where they were all possibly going to die that's when the intrusive thoughts started coming in because she said, I just looked and I started thinking about drowning. And that's always been my worst fear, drowning. I used to have dreams when the kids were little about them drowning in a bathtub or even in a pool. So you have to try to not have those intrusive thoughts come into your head, but also you can't really do anything yeah. about it. So she was just not having a good time. Let's leave it at that. As you might imagine. (laughs) Right. Meanwhile, the kids were shrieking that they didn't want to die. Like, it was just a very helpless situation. Yeah. I mean, it was absolute chaos. There was water flooding in. John and Jean were freaking out. Ben was thrown from the wheel. The kids were shrieking. It was bad. Waves kept battering the boat, and the cabin was slowly flooding. John grabbed the radio and started calling Mayday and giving their location, but all he could hear back was fuzzy French voices, and he realized that his calls weren't going through. 
he handed Gene the boat's satellite phone, which is supposed to work anywhere on Earth and is a direct line to call for rescue. But Jean's hands were shaking so badly that the phone dropped into the water at her feet and it died. No. You would think that a boat satellite phone that could work anywhere on Earth wouldn't be so fragile or that it would maybe be waterproof. And maybe it was, but it literally died when she dropped it in the water. Oh, my God. So they're fucked. <laughs> I was like, should I say fucked? They are fucked. They're fucked. <laughs> John activated the boat's rescue beacon, which was their absolute last resort. But once he switched it on, it was supposed to send out distress signals and their location to international rescue services. But unlike the radio or the satellite phone, once it's flipped on, you don't get a response back. So you have to kind of just blindly trust that you're actually sending out distress signals and hope that someone's there to receive them. I mean, you'd think that they'd give him, like, a little, a response of some kind. Yeah, they didn't. Hey, we got it. He flipped it on, and there was a red blinking light, and as he was staring at it, he kind of just wondered if there was actually anyone out there to hear it. Right. The radio wasn't working, the satellite phone died, and this was the only way anyone could get a distress call from them, but they had no way to know if it actually went out. With the Emerald Jane being smashed on the reef... John came to the conclusion that they needed to abandon ship. He told Ben that they needed to launch their life raft. So the two of them went up to the top of the boat and they pulled the line to the life raft and heard the compressed air start filling the life raft on the boat. But just as they were about to launch it, all the lights on board turned off. The water had flooded the boat's batteries and cut the electricity supply. So now they couldn't see anything in any direction because it was pitch black everywhere. There wasn't even a moon out at that point, which left them in an even worse position. And just as they thought that things couldn't get any worse, another huge wave swelled over the boat and hit into the center of the boat, breaking the 80-foot mast and sending it crashing down onto John. I wish I could capture the faces that you're making in, like, voice, (laughs) but your your eyes are just so wide. So wide. Disbelief. Yeah. Just mouth open. Yes. It crashed onto him? Yes, and it's huge. 80 feet. It's like 2,500 pounds. Like, it went onto John. Is he living? Yes. So, when John comes to, he looks down and sees this gigantic mast had landed on his legs. He was stuck on his back, and worse than that, a huge wave of intense pain washed over him. This falling mast also had struck Ben on the head, but thankfully he was still lucid, although he was in pain as well as he heard his father screaming out in absolute agony. The mast kind of just grazed Ben's head, but landed fully on John. So, just bad, all around. (laughs) I don't know how it could get worse, but it does. Hard to find a positive here. Yes. So Ben's head was pounding. He had blood pouring down his face on both sides. His ears were ringing and he felt his heartbeat in his head, but managed to crawl over to his dad who was pulling his torso up to see his injuries. When he looked down, John saw these two white bones sticking out of his leg because his bones were completely shattered and like sticking out of his legs. Dude. Can you can you say that it ends there? I wish. Are we done? I really wish. I mean, bones. Yes, Ben bones said the... in legs. Uh, we're not done. Do not try and move I'm, on. I'm from gonna that. keep. Want me to say one more thing? Ben said the bones sticking out almost looked like toothpicks sticking out of the side of his father's legs. Great. <laughs> Is that yeah, just great. great? Just great. That's great. Yeah, that's how I felt too. The mast had almost completely severed John's leg below the knee. And beneath that was a pool of blood that was spreading around the deck. Ben attempted to lift this gigantic mast off of his father's legs, but it was two and a half thousand pounds and 80 feet long. So there was absolutely no lifting it off of his father. Also, he probably skipped leg day. So it was just... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That one killed. (laughs) I was just, I was not expecting that at all. 
I've been conditioned with Hara yeah. for about five minutes. Well. It's incredibly bleak. So that was a big relief. Okay, good. I'm glad. Jahan was losing huge amounts of blood from his leg. So Ben's next move was to try and figure out how to stop that bleeding. Because at that rate, John only had minutes before he would have died of blood loss. And what happened next was like a scene out of a movie. Ben went to his father's face and was like holding on to him. And John said to his son, my leg is broken. I'm completely trapped. You have to be in charge of the, of the boat and take care of this family. After saying that, he said he saw the expression on Ben's face change, almost like he saw the realization that he had to now be the man of the family and take charge. And then Ben said, Dad, I'm going to get you out of here. So it was like very cinematic, but also oh. very intense. Okay, but fuck yeah, Ben. Let's yeah, go. exactly. Ben wasn't thinking about the burden or responsibility. He said his reaction was just to keep going, just keep doing things. So he grabbed a rope and told his dad that it was going to hurt as he tied it around his father's thigh and pulled it tight. He then used these two big screwdrivers to tighten the rope around the leg by tying the rope around it and then twisting it in a circle. He then tightened the rope as much as he could and used the other screwdriver to kind of link it all into place and keep it tight. This is incredibly smart. Yeah, and it worked. That cut off the circulation to John's leg and stopped the bleeding as fast as it started? Yeah, like, just slowed it, at least. Yeah. Like, there was still a little bit of blood coming out, but at the rate that it w he was bleeding, he would have bled out in, like, a matter of minutes. And now he's okay. For the time being, at least. Anyway. One thing at a time. Let's go, Ben. Yes. Below deck, the cabin was flooding very fast. Jean got the kids out and led them up to the cockpit, which was now the only safe haven on the boat. It was only then that she saw her husband's terrible condition. John was in horrible pain, so Jean told Ben that she was going to go back below deck and get the first aid kit. The medical kit was important, but Ben knew that if his mother went back down there, she was walking into a death trap. So he was pleading with her not to go, and she was pleading with him to go because she wanted to save John, but ultimately her being 5'5 and Ben being 6'1 was the deciding factor. He was basically able to physically stop his mother from going down there by holding her back. And right as Ben was holding her there, another massive wave struck the boat and blew out the front windows that surrounded the main salon where she would have been if she went to go get the first aid kit, which would have definitely killed her instantly. So oh Ben literally saved both his mother and father in a matter of like five minutes. Wow. Yeah. So now we get to 9 p.m. With John pinned down, there was nothing the Silverwood family could do but hunker down with him and hope that the waves would subside soon, but it was not letting up. The roaring sound of the waves just got bigger and bigger and closer until finally a huge wave would strike them again. By that point, John had been trapped under the mast for two hours, and the night just continued to drag on. And it was only 9 p.m. It's not like this stuff happened at midnight where they only have a couple hours left of darkness. It's like 9 p.m. Yeah. Doesn't that suck? Well, yeah. You said it was pitch black anyway. Yeah, by 7. It, yeah. 7 p.m. is when all this started, and it was already pitch black. Yeah, I mean, you got hours. So many. Like, how are they not sinking? Is the They're reef, on a reef. The reef is holding them up? Yeah, because they were the boat was dragging on top of this reef, and then it literally just broke the boat. Like, they are stuck on a reef. Yeah, I was going to say they're lucky that they're not sinking. Sinking. Yeah. Because if the boat sinks, John's gone. Yeah, but the waves and this storm that was absolutely pummeling this boat was tearing it apart. And they had like less and less of a boat to be on every with every wave that crashed. Right. So it was completely being torn apart. And they knew that it was really only a matter of time before they had absolutely no boat and whatever was left would be pushed off of the reef and they would sink right so it, it was just the waiting game Oof. but john was stuck he was underneath a 2500 pound 80 foot mast yeah that's just an ominous despair 
Yeah. With four kids too. I mean, I can't, Uh, I can't even imagine being in that situation. Like truly. John was trying with everything in him to fight against the pain, but at that point, the temperature was plummeting and hypothermia was going to start setting in. He was shivering, his teeth were chattering uncontrollably, and he had hemorrhaged more than 50% of his blood, so there wasn't much else his body could take. He knew there wasn't anything he could do, so he focused completely on the sound of his own breath, and he said he became one with his own heartbeat. He was basically just willing himself to stay alive. But the overwhelming sensation kept growing of the feeling that he was going to die. He was completely trapped, helpless, and he was still losing some blood. By 10 p.m., this torment felt like it was never going to let up. Ben and Jean made one final attempt to pick up the mast. Even though they knew logically it wasn't possible, they just kept trying. But there was no escape. Through the pain and the agony, John then landed on the word no to fixate on. He decided he was not going to give up and he was going to fight to stay alive. And in that moment, another huge wave struck the Emerald Jane and John saw that the mast had been lifted up from the force of the water higher than it had ever been before. So he managed to pull himself out from underneath the mast as it was being lifted by the wave. And then it slammed back down on the deck just as he had gotten out from it. Yes. Yeah. But the three hours under the mast had left him in terrible condition. That was the first time Jean had seen the extent of John's leg injury, and she said it made her sick to see that his leg was literally hanging onto his body by a piece of skin. Yeah, just by muscle. Not No, like like a, by a tendon. Like his leg was Ooh. almost completely severed. Oh no. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Even though he was free, he fell into this pit of despair because he realized that he was the reason that his family was in this terrible situation. And after he passed, they would die one by one after him, and there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. So this whole time has just been a huge mind game for John, because obviously he's in an extreme amount of physical pain, but the idea of his family dying is really his main concern. Which brings us to Midnight. By midnight, the family was just in pure survival mode. All they could do was hold on tight to each other and to the little bits that were left of the boat and hope for the best. The emergency beacon had been transmitting for over five hours at that point, but they still had no idea if anyone actually heard it. But just then, after midnight, off the stern of the boat, they saw this light off in the distance. It looked like it was getting bigger, too, so they got so excited. They thought that it was a ship, and they would get rescued. So Ben took their last flare and shot it off into the sky and watched as the red light of the flare went up. But after a few seconds, they realized that this was not the light coming from a ship and was actually just the moon. It had come up, finally, and it looked like the light of a boat because it was so bright, but it was just the moon. And they wasted a flare. Their last flare. This was obviously such a huge disappointment because they were still in the same terrible position they had been in for hours. As night dragged on, they clung to the wreckage of the boat, still with the waves relentlessly battering them, which was the most terrifying part because with each wave, they had to hold their breath to see what would happen to the boat next. As there was about 40% of the boat left for them to be on... Ben realized that if they didn't get off of the boat, they were going to go down with it. The only hope was the life raft, but with the waves, the lifeboat got flipped over and completely tangled in the ropes and wreckage on board. So they were trapped on this sinking ship in the middle of the Pacific because this life raft was not getting untangled, at least no time soon, and it just kept getting worse. Seven hours after the crash, the family was on the last usable bit of boat, and Ben knew he needed to get them off now or they would die. A bit away from the boat, the tide had begun to ebb, and Ben spotted a tiny outcrop of rock about a 100 feet away, about the size of a twin-sized mattress, which was really their only escape route. But that's a terrifying thought, because he's like, hey, there's this rock that is about the size of a twin-size mattress sticking up out of the water that I can now see. 
and we're going to go sit on it without a life raft. In the waves. In the waves, yes. We're going to land on it. Yes, because it was the only option. Because the life raft was completely tangled and they couldn't stay on the boat. So their, their only option was to sit on this piece of reef in the middle of the ocean. Don't miss it. Seriously. Ben told his parents about the rocks and that they needed to leave the boat. But John, at this point, knew that any journey off of the boat, no matter how small, would most likely kill him. He was in no shape to be swimming or walking through the water at all. So Ben had to make the impossible decision to leave his father on the sinking boat alone to get the rest of their family to this reef. He didn't want to do it, but he knew that he had no other choice if he wanted to save their family. So before leaving, Ben went onto his knees at his father's side and begged for his forgiveness because he had to leave him behind. And as his family said their final goodbyes, John wasn't concerned at all with himself. He knew what needed to happen or what was going to happen. Ultimately, he just wanted his family to live. So now Ben had to figure out how to get his three younger siblings across the water to this tiny area of dry reef. As soon as a wave hit and started to recede was when Ben jumped off the boat. The water was about chest height to his body because of the reef below them. So he was able to grab his younger brother and carry him across to this patch of rock. But the reef below him was so sharp that the little coral spikes went straight through his sandals and tore up his feet and legs with each step. It's such a scary thought. Because he's literally walking on a reef in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, I was going to say, reefs are sharp, right? Yes, they are sharp. But also, it's not like it's a sandbar. It's not like it's a little island. It's it's a reef. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's walking on knives. That's horrifying. But he did manage to carry Jack over to the higher point. And before leaving him to go back for his other siblings, he handed Jack the emergency beacon and told him, whatever he did, not to let go of the beacon because it was their only hope at survival. So you're like handing a 10-year-old your only source of survival. Yeah. Don't fuck this up. Yeah, you're like, hey, Jack, hold on tight, bud. Oh, my God. He then went back for his mother and two sisters, and Ben carried one of his sisters while his mother carried the other, who almost didn't want to get off the boat. Like, as Jean was in the water trying to coax her daughter off the boat, she was, like, holding onto the railing, and she's like, I don't want to, (laughs) which I understand because it's Mm -hmm. terrifying, but also get off the boat. Yeah, I know. Get off. How old is she? Probably 13 or 14 at this point. It honestly might have been the five-year-old. Like, they didn't specify who was carrying who, so I guess it was, like, I guess she was probably seven at that point. Yeah. But a seven-year-old. Imagine telling a seven-year-old, to jump off of the boat into chest height water in the middle of the ocean in the dark with the waves crashing to like go sit on a rock. That's a nightmare. Yeah. But they did all manage to get to the rocks other than John, who was still on the boat. By 4 a.m., John was in the final stages of life and began to give up. All he could do was look out over the water to his family because he could still see them. Because, like I mentioned, this outcropping of rocks was only 100 feet from the boat. So they literally just had to stare at each other and know that John couldn't get off. That's torture, too. But so John was really in bad shape. And all he could do was stare at his family. But he felt like there was no hope for him. That little piece of boat that he was on at some point was going to slide off of the reef and take him with it. As Ben and Jean sat there and watched John, they were sick at the thought of watching him getting washed away. So they decided that they were going to go back and do whatever they had to to get him off the boat. On their way over to John, Ben told his mother to go to the life raft and he would go to John. The life raft, like I mentioned, was hopelessly tangled in a web of rope and debris and Jean pulled at the life raft with everything she had for an hour but nothing was working. She was completely exhausted and couldn't do it, but in one last attempt, she went into an absolute frenzy of trying to pull it out, and finally, the life raft popped out from the ropes. Oh my god, the last try? Yes. Of course. Of course it was. I mean, this story is a movie, so... Uh, Truly, but 
Gojean? Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. She immediately yelled to Ben that she got it free, and they grabbed onto the lifeboat to try to bring it over to John, but with each wave, Jean and Ben got thrown into the side of the boat, and their legs were cut up even more by the reef below them, which was also another really scary thought for all of them, because they knew that they were cut and that they were actively bleeding into the water, and they're sitting on a rock, and sharks hang out around reefs. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I very well might be, but, like, isn't that a thing? That, I mean, they're that, in the ocean, for well, sure, right? right. We you're, know that. You're in the... We know that for sure. Right. But there's, like... Well, I mean, it would make sense for sharks to hang out around reefs because, like, fish hang out around reefs. Right. So if they want to eat, they're going to go to the reef. And now they're bleeding on a reef. Yeah, I was going to say that earlier when john got trapped under the mast yeah i was like is a shark's a concern yet because he just bled 50 percent of his blood into the ocean it's definitely a concern but they were i think just at the point where they couldn't let themselves think about it yeah i mean what are you gonna do about it nothing so no one said anything no one like acknowledged it but they were just like okay now we have to walk through the water and go to this small rock that hopefully won't get covered by a tide or of like whatever right you know the rock sharp yeah it's part of the reef just sitting on sharp rocks shit yeah they managed to get the life raft over to john and ben used every bit of strength and energy he had left to grab his father and pull him into the raft this was explosive pain for john tears were streaming down his face and his teeth were gritted together as he was pulled in and Ben was terrified that the life raft would pop on the reef before they could get him to safety, but they just had to keep going. They walked John and the raft over to the rocks where the kids were. But by that point, it had been 10 hours since the crash, and John was really close to death. By hour 12, there was still no sign of rescue. They were still clinging to this small outcropping of rock, but had almost no hope of being saved. Inside the life raft, John was barely conscious and on the edge of death. All he could do was pray that his family would get rescued after he passed. By morning, Ben heard the sound of a plane and immediately stood up and started waving his arms and Jean joined him. This plane above them started circling above their heads, but no sooner than it came, it flew off again. So even though they were pretty sure it had seen them, their hearts sank because they knew that they weren't getting rescued then and time was running out for John. After two hours, there was still no sign of the plane, but finally Ben saw a boat off on the horizon and again he started waving. Their alert beacon had led the plane right to them on the reef, but since they were unable to land, they went to a nearby island where they alerted local fishermen and got them to basically go rescue the family on their own fishing boat. Wow. Yeah. So 15 hours after the shipwreck, their ordeal was finally over, or so they thought. Jean immediately grabbed Ben and just burst into tears because they were going to get out of there and survive. The fishermen took the family to their nearby island, but by that point, John was turning gray and looked like he was not going to make it. This family that was welcoming them had made this big breakfast and had it set up for the Silverwoods, but they weren't expecting someone to be in critical condition. But finally, Jean was able to use an old radio to call the Coast Guard and tell them that they needed a helicopter now. They told her that they had to stop to refuel but they should be there by two. And it was 10.30 in the morning when they made it to the island, and she knew that John was not going to last until 2 p.m. Thankfully, they made it to the island by 12.30, and they were able to get John to the hospital in time. But can you believe that they literally like knew they were in the middle of the ocean? They were like, hey, fishermen, go pick up this family. And they weren't just like waiting on the island with the plane. They were like, ah, oh, we'll be yeah. there. We'll be there at two. What? I mean, I guess they didn't know that anyone was in critical. Well, yeah, but, like, you don't know the situation. Yeah, like, maybe be sure. Be sure. Like, what do you mean you're not going to be there by two or you're going to be there at two? Crazy. I mean, thankfully, they got him to the hospital in time, but that's kind of yeah, crazy. I mean, he's turning gray. Yeah. Dude. He had lost over 50% of the blood in his body. How do you keep going after 50? 
I, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like a really bad time. Also, his leg had been completely severed. Yeah, that also. I promise we're smart guys. Even when we sound stupid, we both have degrees. I'll probably be cutting a lot of it. <laughs> we both graduated with honors. <laughs> Believe it or not. I'll post, I'll post my report cards from college. I swear on, to God. I'll post my transcript on the Patreon. <laughs> the first emergency beacon signal that came in to the Coast Guard was at approximately 10 p.m., Pacific Standard Time, and it was registered to the Silverwoods who lived in San Diego, California. So they didn't know the Silverwoods location immediately. They just knew that the Silverwoods who lived in San Diego were in trouble. So they had no idea where they were. No. So the first thing they did was they had to contact the they they attempted to contact the Silverwoods. They tried calling their telephone number, their like home line. But when that didn't work, they started talking to family members and found out that they had left Tahiti at least three to five days prior and were also told that John and Jean were experienced sailors and John would not turn on the beacon unless he was in some sort of emergency situation. So they have a general area and they know that this family is in an emergency situation, but it took four to six hours before they even had a clear location. So... They were going to launch a French helicopter to go and find the family, but by that point, it was way too dark, and they had to wait for first light. So that's why it took so long for them to find the family. Because even when they had, like, a location, they couldn't go fly and find them. How does the rescue beacon not give them a location? I mean, I'm sure it does give some kind of location because they were able to locate them, but it clearly wasn't, like, the first thing that happened. Right. Yeah, that is strange. Yeah, but thankfully, they were saved. And John was taken immediately to a hospital in Tahiti and was brought into life-saving surgery. So after eight hours, John came out of the surgery alive. And they needed to take his left leg below the knee, but other than that, he was okay. His right leg was okay? Yeah, just the left leg was taken. And both of them were snapped. One of them was definitely snapped. The other was probably also, like, crushed a little bit, but they were able to save it. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, because his left one was, like, completely severed pretty much for 14 hours or whatever, so. Yeah. There wasn't much hope of saving that one. (sighs) But John said when he regained consciousness, everything was amazing, and he was not even bothered by the fact that he lost his leg. And he even likes his new leg because he got a prosthetic, and he likes to tell people that it's his robot leg. So he's very positive. I love that from John. I know. Can a human being be more thankful than in that moment when you yeah. wake up from surgery? You're like, oh, I lost like Who gives a shit? Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, you could have lost your life. I was like, you cut know? them all off. And also, you know? <laughs> all of them? At least you're still alive, man. No, true. You know? I just thought it was funny that you said all of them and it was, there's only two. But there's it's all of them. Cut off, know, cut off all of them. Take them all. As long as I'm alive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he could have lost everything. Not only his own life, but he could have lost his whole family. Like, for as unlucky as they got with everything that happened, like, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. It could have been way worse, you know? Like, they could have been sinking. They could have been in the water the entire time. The the kids could have gotten hurt or killed. Like, there were so many other things that could have been so catastrophic that I think they recognize how lucky they were in that situation, you know? Yeah, I mean, Jean could have or died getting the first aid kit. Yeah. I mean, the mast could have hit Ben in the head and killed him instantly. Yeah. You know? Like, there were so many things that could have gone so terribly wrong. And even though so many things did, they all made it out, which is incredible. Yeah. Anyway, Jean said overall, she's so proud of Ben, who went from being an immature 16-year-old to a man in like a matter of minutes. And she believes that Ben saved their lives. John said that there were dozens of reasons why he should have died that night. He could have drowned or bled to death. And he said he owes his life to his family, especially to his son, Ben. Ben, however, doesn't like being called a hero because he says, quote, he just did what needed to be done. And amen to that, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. John sees his family and life through an entirely different lens, and he knows how magnificent they are. This tragedy definitely brought their family closer together. And since then, John Silverwood has bought another sailboat 
and he plans to sail it from California to Hawaii with his son, Jack. However, Gene and the rest of the family will stay ashore for that trip. So, Johnny. Johnny, hey. Johnny. Johnny. Maybe not. Maybe give it another thought. Hey, Johnny. Well, I mean, I guess at least he's not going to Australia. Yeah. It's a shorter trip. California to Hawaii is less terrible than... He's really got to love sailing. Yeah. That's a man who knows what he wants. Definitely. And I mean, I guess it was a lovely bonding experience for almost an entire two years, but then they had just a tragic outcome. I can't imagine those poor younger kids, especially. Traumatizing. Yeah. I hope they got some counseling or something. Yeah. You know? Well, clearly they have a very lovely family, so... They do. Even when tragedy strikes, they have their family for support. Yeah, I'm telling you what, that's uh, one hell of a bond to come out with. Definitely. Anyway, that is the story of the Silverwood family and their heinous shipwreck in the middle of the Pacific. Heinous it was. Yeah. Anyway, what's your good thing? Uh, My good thing is that we're going out for your birthday. So my good thing is your birthday. Sick. I love that. Do you? I, I don't know if I've stolen it from you. No. But uh, I am excited to go hang out and celebrate your birth. Yeah, good. That's lovely. I love that too. Yeah, that's that's one of my good things. My other good thing is that my friends were just here visiting from New York and it was so fun. We had a lot of fun. I think that was my good thing that they were coming was last week. And now I'm saying my good thing is that they are, not that they're gone, but that we had fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're fun. No, no, my God, thank God those little crazies Praise are gone. The Lord. No, we had a very fun time. Anyway, that is that on that. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to vote on the upcoming bonus episode on our Patreon, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three because that makes sense because that makes sense and just keep breathing yeah yeah